This is a Charles Russell Speechley's podcast. Welcome to Property Patter. My name is Emma Humphreys and I'm joined today by Kerry Bretherton QC of Tamfield Chambers and Emma Priest from our real estate disputes team. We're looking today at boundary disputes, which may perhaps be an area where we'll see even more disputes arise as people spend more time at home during lockdown. Our discussion today is going to look at how a legal boundary is determined and perhaps most importantly, how boundary disputes can be resolved. We're going to discuss these disputes in the residential property context because that's where they arise most frequently. But this isn't always the case and the same types of principles will usually apply to commercial property. But Kerry, let's start with some of the preliminary points. What issues should a party be aware of before they embark on a boundary dispute with a neighbour? I think the first point I'd like to pick up on is the amount of judgments that you read in these cases where senior judges lament uh, the English conviction that one's home is one's castle and ought to be defended at all costs. Um, The amount of costs that are involved in this type of litigation is really quite extraordinary. I've got a colleague in Chambers who, who starts any a uh, conference with um, a boundary, involving a boundary dispute uh, by asking the person to consider the nice sports car that they'd have bought themselves rather than litigating. And I've always thought that's quite a good example. Um, you need to be prepared to commit a lot of money um, if you're prepared to litigate this matter fully. The other issue is indirect losses. Um, There'll be the losses of the other side and indeed um, less easy to um, ascertain losses, such as a loss of value in your property. Very often these points um, need to be declared uh, when you're selling the property and a lot of people will be deterred from buying at all if they're aware of a history of litigation. Uh, and many people simply won't want to make an offer on a property of that sort. There are also the less um, easy to quantify types of losses, um, such as stress on, on your own family uh, and your relationship living constantly under tension of that dispute. There's the time that you're going to spend attending court and potentially giving instructions. And there's also um, distress of giving evidence. For example, if you're a very honourable person, um, think about how you'd feel if ultimately the judge finds that you've not been truthful about a matter. Even on occasions, things can get so heated that the police are involved and there's criminal behaviour. Um, But I'd just say here for the first time, and I'm sure it won't be the last in this session, that the courts will always scrutinise parties' conduct in advance of issuing proceedings. And so it's vitally important to engage in sensible correspondence and sensible discussions and look to reach some form of compromise if one is available at an early stage. It'll save you a lot of money and a lot of stress. What you say, uh, particularly about the costs and the stress, is so very true. Um, I I haven't used the the race car uh, and a sports car analogy, but that's a good one. Um, I I usually ask potential litigants in relation to these types of disputes that in a year's time, they'll ask me how they make this stop. 
because that's the reality. People start these things and it's all a point of principle and, you know, how can they, how can this possibly happen? Uh, and in a year's time, as you say, you know, the costs and the stress, uh, once it becomes a reality, um, you know, people do want to make it stop. And of course, what, you know, if you're, if you're involved in court proceedings, it's, it's not that simple at that at that point and I noticed <laughs> Emma and I were reading a case this morning where and we may touch on this later but where the courts basically said we've got better things to do with our time um, than, than dealing with these sorts of disputes. Let's get to some legals. Um, Emma what's the starting point when someone wants to identify the boundary position? Is it a straightforward exercise? Is there always a right answer? I think that's probably a key point as well. Um, how do people go about this? Quite often it's not straightforward. I mean, it can be sometimes, but rarely, I think, in my experience anyway. So the process of identifying the legal boundary will usually require collating a combination of both legal and expert evidence. This is because the issue of where the boundary is located is a legal issue. Uh, but the expert evidence will be required to plot the boundary actually on the land um, because obviously it's quite difficult for lawyers to actually see on a, on a plan where it actually sits physically um, on site. What is there already in terms of physical boundaries, whether that be a fence or a wall or a hedge, for example, may not necessarily coincide with the legal boundary. So this is usually why further investigation is often required albeit this location is usually understood between the parties to be the legal boundary. So it's often thought that the first port of call is the land registry title plan. And this is something we certainly would take a look at too. But this plan is subject to limitations and will not hold all of the answers due to what is known as the general boundaries rule. So the plan will show the boundary to the property edged in red, but these boundaries only show a general boundary and do not determine the exact line of the boundary, which will require further investigation. This is not the case, however, if the boundary is already being determined by a previous owner or a neighbour, for example, although if that, had, if that was the case, you wouldn't probably be in a dispute about it because that determination would be noted on the title. So once you have the plan and the title register, it's usually a case of delving a little deeper into the title documents that you can find and seeing in particular if you can locate the operative conveyance. So that will be the first conveyance of the property where the boundary in question is created because the two properties are divided. Um, this conveyance should contain further detail relating to the boundary or have a well-drawn plan which will assist in identifying the legal boundary. It's important to look at the description of the property conveyed closely also with the plan, uh, together also with any caveats that there may be included such as for identification purposes only. Um, so all of that needs to be looked at quite closely um, and it's seeing if there's any contradictions or if it's all quite clear. So not really straightforward quite often, uh, but that's generally how we, we would go about it. So the key is, from the sounds of it, to try to locate the original conveyance as a first step. Um, of course, we know it's not unusual for that type of document to be destroyed once a property has been registered or it's often lost in the passage of time. Uh, what happens if you can't find it? Yes, so unfortunately, um, like you say, passage of time, simply it's, it's not there. Um, but it can also still be an issue, even if you, ha you can find it, because these documents are often so old, uh, the quality is really poor, you can't necessarily read it, or the plan is, is drawn with a really big 
black pen. So that doesn't necessarily help you either. So if that's the case, then it will, you'll have to start pulling together all the extrinsic evidence available to you. So that may include historical photographs, OS maps, old features still on site, and other topographical features and forming a view based on those documents. Um, I should probably mention there are some legal presumptions that exist if you're dealing with a particular boundary, such as roadways, rivers or hedges, if it's not clear from the title deeds where the boundary is. I won't go into those in too much detail because um, they don't come up all that regularly. Um, but for example, for roadways, it's presumed that the boundary of the land abutting the roadway extends up to the middle point. And for uh, hedges and ditches, it's presumed that the boundary is along the opposite ed edge of the ditch from the hedge. But there are some exceptions to these rules. So, um, and as I said, they are presumptions, so they can be rebutted by evidence. I always love these hedge and ditch rules and things like that. They just always strike me as so very, um, so very British. Kerry Emma's touched on expert evidence, um, and this, of course, can be very important when it comes to these types of disputes. How exactly does it fit into the puzzle of identifying the legal boundary? It can't be overstated the importance of proper, um, properly qualified, um, properly produced expert evidence. Very often it will be the most important piece of evidence in the proceedings. It's absolutely vital to instruct a properly qualified surveyor uh, and it's key that they are a specialist boundary surveyor so they've got experience practically uh, in relation to this kind of work uh, and also experience as appearing um, as an expert and witness in court because that will almost certainly be required in due course. And the site survey they'll produce is an absolutely essential part of the dispute. Um, and they will attend site, plot any available dimensions in the original conveyance or other documents on the ground, uh, and put the topographical features into context. But there are some certain points that, that must be remembered about um, instructing an expert. Firstly, uh, and a prime importance, um, Expert witnesses of this uh, type owe a primary duty to the court or tribunal uh, before whom they're to give evidence rather than to their own clients. And that requires them to be objective in their approach. They're not there to effectively support uh, without question their own client's case. And they're also required to act in accordance with their own professional code of conduct. What they'll do upon appointment is, first of all, they'll be sent a letter of instruction uh, and they'll read through all of the relevant documents, request any that are missing, and they'll then visit the property to speak to the appointing party. Prior to taking measurements, they'll ask for a tour of the perimeter and they'll then use either a tripod-mounted electronic measuring device to make a map um, that can be produced at scale. They could could potentially use GPS equipment, as well as other measuring devices. Almost invariably photographs will be taken and they'll be a really important guide to the court. 
And one thing I always ask for in disputes of this type is to make sure um, that properly uh, produced, good quality colour photographs are reproduced at size at an early stage, because there's something that the court will find extremely useful. Um, there's nothing worse than, than the photocopied uh, types of, of um, photograph uh, that simply mean nothing and just look like black blobs to the judge. The expert should have experience of how to produce a properly uh, compliant report for the court in accordance with the civil procedure rules. And quite often there'll be a Scott schedule produced if there are separate experts, um, which means that they can compare their findings. And that's very useful to both the parties and to the court in narrowing the issues that are in dispute. Sometimes um, a summary report will be produced. Um, on occasions, it'll be a full CPR compliant report. Um, but a short report should certainly include the plan, site photographs, and a concise set of methodology notes, which say how the boundary was calculated. Um, of course, it will cost more to get a more detailed report, but I do feel that at this stage of the proceedings, which normally will be quite early, um, that it's money well spent to get the best quality report that's available, quite apart from anything else. If your own client finds problems with their own case at this stage, it may be that they can avoid litigation or settle at an early stage on the basis of the weaknesses of their case, as shown by the surveyor. So the findings of the surveyor will assist the court in determining where the boundary for the property lies um, and may, in due course, uh, lead to an order for a new title plan to be registered against the property if there's to be a change. I ought to also mention that um, at the moment I've um, been really discussing single experts. A common practice is for the court to direct uh, a joint expert be appointed. And in such a case, it's really important to ensure that the instructions are very well drafted uh, on a very neutral basis, setting out the issues to be determined uh, rather than uh, skewed towards one party. I think the final point I'd just like to make at this stage is that the court is not actually required to accept expert evidence. The decision remains one for the judge, uh, but in practice, the court will usually find a properly qualified surveyor's evidence to be compelling. And where experts differ, the court will determine the matter based on qualifications, uh, on experience, on the methodology adopted by the surveyor and the matters taken into account uh, and the reasons for the differing conclusions. Yeah, so important with these types of dispute, isn't it? And um, and as you say, you know, not, not straightforward by any stretch. The other thing, of course, that is not straightforward with these types of dispute is trying to resolve them. So let's talk about some of the options here. Um, mediation uh, is certainly a favourite one. Emma, do you want to explain to our listeners a bit more about how mediation works? Yes. So mediation, it's a voluntary process which the parties to a dispute engage in with a view to trying to settle that dispute. So the process is managed by an independent trained mediator who will assist the parties in trying to find a solution. Um, this can take place over a matter of hours, um, but usually it's sensible to allocate at least a day towards, towards this process as you can't really predict exactly how it's going to go. 
The parties uh, during that time are usually kept separate um, in this type of dispute. I would imagine you'll be on site because it's it's very hard to come to a resolution without actually being there. And the parties will just be in their respective homes. And the mediator will go between the two of them to find out from each side uh, what their position is, what they may be willing to compromise on, and, and to try and achieve a coming together that way. Mediation is something that the courts encourage the parties to attempt, not least because it's it's quite well known, as we mentioned earlier, that courts generally do not like boundary disputes. Um, in a recent case, um, which actually concerned a right of way, but again, a dispute between neighbours, um, they said that disputes of this sort may well be suited suitable for lower cost forms of online resolution, possibly out of court. The court then went on to say that whilst neighbour disputes are significant to the parties, such disputes compete the time with cases seen daily in the court concerning brain damage and other life-changing injuries and reiterated that ADR really is the desired method of uh, resolution of residential disputes. Mediation is certainly encouraged by the courts, but there is in any event rarely a good reason for the parties not to attempt mediation. Um, it's a relatively inexpensive, informal and flexible way to, to reach a settlement. Another good thing about mediation is that it does allow the parties to come to an agreement on issues which may not necessarily form part of, of a court claim, if, if there is a court claim. So it can cover wider issues such as future maintenance of a boundary or, or access rights, if that's that's what's needed. So it's it can be very much a global settlement, which is beneficial. Yeah, that's a really good point, actually. I think that's one of the really key benefits of um, mediation, isn't it? The, the flexibility, the ability to solve other issues that aren't even before the court. Certainly, we've had positive experiences in resolving disputes that looked unsolvable via mediation. Kerry, I'm, I'm guessing you've probably had similar experiences where, where mediation uh, of what looked to be unsolvable has actually worked. Absolutely. I, I'm a great uh, fan of mediation. Um, you should never underestimate the powers of a good mediator. Um, and I think one of the things I love about mediation is it's possible to be really imaginative because quite often these disputes have their roots in some entirely unrelated issue where, where someone's fallen out over something entirely different uh, and then takes the point about the boundary or something. Uh, and one can be really imaginative in mediation. You're not limited to the issue in litigation, uh, you can potentially uh, resolve a whole wide, wide range of issues and do so in a way that needn't just involve uh, the type of remedies you'd get in court, um, but potentially other kinds of agreement or if, if the issue is parking, and I've had a lot of cases involving parking over the last few years, uh, potentially um, granting a right of way to access land to enable parking may actually be the real issue rather than the boundary issue itself. Yes, that's very true. That's very true. Um, as you say, so often it starts with something else and uh, everything descends into a boundary dispute. And of course, there's other methods of alternative dispute resolution. Um, one thing that sometimes comes up is uh, expert determination is another option. Emma, do you want to just explain to the listeners what expert determination is and how that's different from mediation? Yes, so expert determination. Um, so this is where the parties uh, jointly instruct an expert and agree to be bound by the decision of that expert. 
the expert is not bound by any evidence or submissions that have been made already. Um, so they carry out their own investigations and come to their own conclusions. So in a boundary dispute, you'd expect this to be to be carried out by a specialist boundary surveyor. Um, so the advantages of this process is that uh, you know, similar to mediation, in some ways, it, it's confidential, it's quick, it's it's cost effective, and uh, and it's final as well. It can also take some of the acrimony out of the process, as the parties simply agree for the matter to be sort of divulged into somebody else, this third party, and that may help to maintain neighbourly relationships in the long term. Another thing we have is the Property Boundaries Resolution of Disputes Bill 2016, which is making its way through Parliament, albeit rather slowly. Um, Kerry, I thought you may have something to say about this. Yes, I, I, I do. And, and that um, is something that I, I will pick up on. But, but if I may just first raise one further thought about some of the comments you've made about the current um, dis, uh, alternative dispute resolution, um, because something I found quite useful in some of my cases is early neutral evaluation, um, which is slightly different from expert determination, but it's potentially a route where um, either an expert such as a QC or potentially a judge uh, might um, give a preliminary indication on certain issues, or it could be a surveyor as well. But it's not something that's actually binding if the parties don't want to be bound at that early stage. But for example, if one party is very overconfident in its case uh, and the other party considers they're wrong on a point of law, it can be quite a quick quick method of, of resolving the deadlock and enable then, for example, a successful mediation uh, to take place uh, or potentially um, an expert determination to proceed or indeed settlement without actually either of those steps. So I just wanted to pick up on that first, if that's okay. But in the future, I think looking at the Property Boundaries um, Resolution of Disputes Bill, that is something that was uh, initially introduced as long ago as 2012. Um, it was introduced into the House of Commons, uh, but it didn't have any success. Then it was reintroduced uh, by the Earl of Lytton in 2015, 2016 and 2017 to 2019, uh, those parliamentary sessions. And at that time, it received three readings in each house and reached the committee stage prior to receiving uh, royal assent. However, um, due to um, the difficulties in 2019 with regard to Brexit, um, the bill didn't receive royal assent. And that's normally the end of a private member's bill. But this, this has been quite um, unconventional uh, in that it's been reintroduced in the new 2020 parliamentary session. So, so that, I think, demonstrates a level of commitment uh, to uh, this bill. And the reasons for that are that the aims underpinning it are to make it easier and cheaper to decide boundary disputes uh, and indeed private rights of way by removing uh, litigation from the process and introducing a, a procedure that's very similar actually to the Party Wall Etc Act 1996, uh, which is unsurprising because the, the author is the same, uh, in that it would put surveyors in charge of the process in the first instance. The rationale the rationale behind that is to save costs, to save court time, and to save effort. 
Um, and the thinking underpinning it is that because surveyors were already heavily involved in the resolution of these disputes from an early stage, um, consider back to what I've said about expert evidence, the bill intends to make the process for resolving these disputes uh, more efficient and streamlined uh, by uh, that expert involvement uh, in a slightly different way. In terms of how it's proposed it's going to work, effectively like the party wall, etc. 1996. Um, one party serves a notice on the other, indicating their understanding of the boundary line. And if the other party disagrees or doesn't reply within 14 days, a dispute is deemed to arise. And the bill then provides that a single agreed surveyor or two party appointed surveyor and a third surveyor settle the precise location of the boundary uh, and the extent to which any structure extends beyond that boundary um, and they then make an award as to costs. That award can be appealed to the High Court within 28 days and if the landowner does not serve a notice and commences litigation they will not be able to recover any costs incurred in connection with those proceedings. So that's about as big a deterrent as you can imagine given the figures I mentioned earlier uh, that ought to be considered before issuing proceedings. Uh, the current position is that the bill received its first reading in the House of Lords on the 15th of January 2020. It's not yet been scheduled for a second uh, reading. I ought to flag, however, that there has been some debate as to whether it will be effective in achieving its aims, um, because boundary disputes involve complex issues of law as well as the technical points more commonly dealt with by surveyors. Um, it, it's certainly a bit of a, a benefit to surveyors insofar as um, it will create a new source of work for them. Uh, but law-heavy type disputes will still require the parties to seek legal advice and may well still end up in court. Um, furthermore, uh, the bill does not allow surveyors to deal with the consequences of finding that a building is over the boundary. Um, so the built parties will still need to issue proceedings on that issue if no agreement can be reached. The other point um, to note is that it applies to freehold land only, doesn't cover disputes between uh, long leaseholders or disputes between a freeholder and a leaseholder. So I think it's really very much a question of watching this space on that one. There's been a level of commitment to this private member's bill that um, one doesn't normally see. Uh, my money is, is on it coming into force in due course. But I think with the amount of work uh, that there is in light of the current pandemic, the question as to whether that's going to be this year remains to be seen. Uh, but it certainly gets 10 out of 10 for persistency. Yes. And I, I mean, it's interesting, isn't it? Because I, I think that, you know, the Party Wall Act has on the whole been pretty successful at uh, enabling the resolution of those types of disputes. Um, uh, so, you know, if we could have something along those lines, um, and as you say, not just for boundaries, but, you know, perhaps rights away and those sorts of things, um, it would inevitably uh, improve matters for the courts, reduce their workload, and then hopefully also mis minimise people's costs as well. Um, you know, we started with saying all the reasons that we advise against pursuing these cases, if you can possibly avoid it. Um, and, uh, you know, but if there is a way for people to resolve their disputes um, in, in a more constructive way, then um, I'm sure we would all welcome that. 
thank you very much both. That's been a really helpful run through of some of the issues which can arise here. Um, and thank you to our listeners for joining us. Don't forget we offer a surveyor's refresher area with bite-sized guidance notes on these types of topics. So if you would like access to those, please just email me uh, or anyone of the Real Estate Disputes team at Charles Russell Speechleys. Thanks again for listening. This is a Charles Russell Speechleys podcast. 